Good morning, Generations Church. As we continue to improve the way we communicate with all of you, we want you to get signed up for our constant contact emails. This is a great and easy way to find out what's going on at the church and how you can stay connected with all your friends at Generations. To be on our email list, fill out the communication card in the Lord's Day Bulletin this morning and place it in one of the offering boxes at the door. Or you can let us know you want to be signed up by emailing us at info at generationspeople.org. Or, if you'd rather, simply give us a call at 817-326-JESUS. Thank you in advance for getting signed up and staying connected. And remember, you can always unsubscribe from the emails at any time. To get more information about everything going on, check out our weekly Lord's Day Bulletin, visit generationspeople.org, and like our Facebook page. We'll see you next time. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and went back across the lake towards Capernaum. Night came on, and Jesus still had not come to them. By then a strong wind was blowing and stirring up the water. Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Cold winds can come down off the mountains and across the tablelands and really stir that water up. Yvette and I a few years ago were blessed to be able to go visit Israel and Galilee is a beautiful lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake in terms of its sea level in the world. At its widest point, it's about six miles across. It is shaped like a heart. As long as point, I don't remember how long it is. The water can really get stirred up. One of the cities on the banks of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Galilee is a city called Tiberias. In fact, sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. It's a beautiful city, and it's a city with seawalls. So it just kind of lets you know that the water can really get stirred up with storms. Our own lake can get stirred up with storms. Remember when we had a lake that got stirred up with storms sometimes? <laughs> remember when we had a... Dinner theater on a riverboat. 
Remember that? Big river boat. I remember one year there was a storm and we almost lost the boat. It was out in the lake. Captain had to throw it in reverse and have the paddle wheel pull the thing through the waves till he got to safety. And it was, it was quite an ordeal for those that were on board. I love boats and I love water and I love this story. To me it's significant. I love good writing. And the Gospels are written by four different men. Matthew's a lawyer, so he's very accurate. So he has most of the details about this story. Uh, Mark writes about it. And one detail Mark did not include was, and John did not include, was in Matthew says that Peter said, Lord, if that's you, let me come to you. And the Lord said, come. And Peter got to walk on the water a little bit and got a lesson on faith and keeping your eyes on Jesus and not on your circumstances. But we're not preaching from that text today. The reason Matthew included it, I think, is he's a lawyer. He wants all the details. And Mark didn't include it because Peter's helping him write that book. So Peter's not wanting himself to be the star of the book. It's all about Jesus, right? And John, of course, isn't doing anything in his book other than really emphasizing Jesus. In fact, John doesn't even name himself in the book. He's in the book, but he's not named in the book, per se. Well, I love good writing, and I love these stories, and I love the various aspects. You know, if we have a accident and we all witness it and the police ask us to write a report, we would all write the same thing right, but it wouldn't be word for word. It would be our perception. Some might say our perceptions are contradictory, but I think multiple perceptions help you see a full picture, a 3D picture, as it were, from the thing. And so you get that from the four Gospels. One of my favorite writers growing up was Mark Twain. Mark Twain visited the Holy Land, Samuel Clements, visited the Holy Land back in the 19th century. He lived back, you know, during the days of the Civil War and afterwards and died in 1910. And somewhere during the 1800s, he visited the Holy Land a time or two. And one of the times, he had his wife with him. One evening, they're in Tiberias. They've had a nice dinner. He's feeling real romantic. And he asked his wife, would you like a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee? And she said, yes. So they walked out to the pier and uh, approached a boatman and said, could you give us a boat ride? The boatman looks at him. There he is in his white suit, his white shoes, and his white cowboy hat and thinks, this is a Texas rancher. He says, yeah, I'll take you for a boat ride for $25. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of money now, but the 19th century, that was hundreds. Mark Twain said, no, thank you, turned around, and he told his wife, now I know why Jesus walked. <laughs> In Matthew's version of the story, it said Jesus went to the mountain alone to pray. What was he doing praying? He just fed the 5,000. They wanted to make him king. They realized he was a fulfillment of Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is the prophet. Let's make him king. By force, they were going to do it. And that was not the father's plan. So Jesus flees the scene. He sends his disciples across the lake, and he leaves, goes into a mountain by himself, and prays. What is he praying? This was a temptation, a shortcut to the throne but it was not the Father's plan. Remember, he is ultimately submitted to the Father's will. He lived as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, submitting to his Father's will. And so he is there dealing with the accolades of man, the praises of people, the trophies of people, the rewards of fame, submitting to his Father's will, which means the cross first. Crown of thorns first before the many crowns. For the joy set before him, Jesus, the Bible said, endured 
the cross. And so he's there praying for grace and endurance. And I think at the end of that prayer, it's the middle of the night. He prayed a long time. Mark says it's on the fourth watch, which is, I think is about 3 a.m. They're out in the middle of this thing. John 6, our text says they'd gone about three or four miles. So it's about six miles across or about halfway across. The winds are gusting violently and the waves are high. It's kind of like a storm. And the father blesses his son by leading him to walk on the waters. That's got to have been fun. Don't you think? Would it be fun? I don't know how it happened change the property of waters beneath his feet or suspend gravity? Well, the Bible says he was walking on the water, so I think gravity was still there. He wasn't floating above the water. I think the property of waters beneath his feet changed. Which to walk across the water, that happens, right? Who's walked across water? I have. About, you know, 10 below zero, you can walk across water. Anybody gone ice skating? At that temperature, the property of waters changes. And so here, property of water changes beneath the feet of Jesus, and he gets to walk over three miles across the water. It's just awesome. This was not some frivolous thing. This was a revelation of who he was. He was God manifest in the flesh. Look at this verse. Job, in his declaration of the greatness of God, said, He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea, Job 9, 8. David wrote in Psalm 77, 19, Your way is in the sea, your path is in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. Well, prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Isaiah 43, 15, Isaiah said, prophesied, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Only God can do that. Now, YouTube, you can watch Chris Angel walk across water, but it's in a controlled environment. It's a swimming pool. There's people swimming all around them, and I don't know if they're paid to be crazy excited, but they are totally in awe and amazement. It's in broad daylight. He walks on top of the water in his clogs, and then he kicks his clogs off and makes it the rest of the way. It's some kind of magic trick. This was not a trick, and this was not a swimming pool. This was over three miles across choppy waves, gusting winds, stormy seas. A miracle. Fulfillment of prophecy. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Jesus is the great I am. Can we say that? Why is that the topic? Well, in verse 20, remember they see him in verse 19. It says they're very much afraid. Verse 20, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I. Hey, it's me. Don't be afraid. Literally, he said, and the literal translation renders it as such, but he said to them, I am, do not fear. The modern King James Version says, I am, do not fear. Be afraid. I am is one of God's names. In Greek, it's ego eimi. You see it repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John. I am this and I am that. He is the I am. Ego is the word ego, means I. I. Eimi means me or to exist or I am. I am is who he is. This is one of God's names. In John 8, 58, He really fires up his enemies when he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am. This is not bad English. This is who God is. He is I am. He's not I was or I will be. He is constantly in existence. I am. So for him, it's not bad grammar. It's the truth. In Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush, Moses asked him, Okay, you want me to go and set people free from slavery? I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go. I'm supposed to go to my people and tell them, hey, I'm going to be your leader. Who do I tell them who you are? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The word I am is the word hayah. Can we say hayah? It means to exist, to be, to become, to come to pass. It is always emphatic when it's used. God is, I am, all by Himself. He does not have to depend upon anybody. I am. Will you be at work in the morning? Well, if my car runs, I will be at work. Will you come home after work? Well, if the traffic's clear... I'll be at home. Everything we do, everything we promise is conditional based on a bunch of things. God unconditionally is. I am. There's nothing dependent upon it. The word hayah relates to the Hebrew word hava hava. Can we say hava hava? It means to breathe or to be. He is the great I am. At his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas comes with soldiers to arrest him. And John 18 renders the story as follows. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch this. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now notice The word he is in italics. If you look at Greek manuscripts, he literally said, I am. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Not here I am or I'm Jesus of Nazareth. No, just I am. Only God can talk like that. And look at the response. Judas who betrayed him also stood with him. He knew who he was. That's why he went with him so he could point him out. But in the dark, they had to confirm who he was. They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And look at what happened. When he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. This gang of soldiers with swords and spears and shields, when they hear him say, I am, they fall down. (laughs) There's a verse for falling out. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? They said, as they picked themselves up off the ground, Jesus of Nazareth. He answered, I have told you that I am. Every occasion there, the word he is not in the original. The translators added it there because they think that's what he meant. But I think he meant what he said. Ego a me, I am. I am. God is the great I am. To Abraham, he told him, I am your shield. 
I am your shield and buckler, one of the Psalms says. I am all that you need. In the deliverance from slavery, God revealed who he was. At every test, with every solution, he revealed who he was. In the Passover, he revealed, I am your Passover lamb. At the waters of Mira, he revealed, I am the healer of all in your waters, of all in your life that is wrong. When they were thirsty and needed water, he gave them a rock and said, I am your rock and I am your water. When they were hungry, he gave them manna, revealing, I am your manna. All of these things pointed to Jesus. He is those things to us. What are you in need of today? Are you lost? Jesus said, I am the way. Are you confused? He said, I am the truth. Are you dying? He said, I am the life. Are you dead? I am the resurrection. Are you fruitless? Looking at your life? Don't see any fruit? That grieves you? I am the true vine. In worship today, I felt like there may be some here, one or more people, that are grieved over your past in the sense of wasted years. God, I wish I had not wasted my youth because now I see the potential I had for fruitfulness and it didn't happen. You might even wrestle with envy when you meet a young Christian just learning the ropes. I want to speak a word of comfort to you. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Every branch that abides in me bears fruit. Stop the self-loathing. Stop grieving the past in the name of Jesus. Cut that thing off. That ain't nothing but the enemy trying to drag you back. You can bear fruit now. You're here now. You're here now. Now, this is not an encouragement to youth to waste their youth. But if you wasted 50 years, what is eternity minus 50 years? Still eternity. All right, moving on with the sermon. Are you helpless? Jesus said, I am the true shepherd. He's the true shepherd. Good to have our children's pastor here with us today. Can we show our appreciation to her? We still have two more weeks of ministering at Oak Trail Shores. On Wednesdays, we do a VBS there when the kids come and receive the free lunches that are given out there every weekday. I got to go last Wednesday and hear Miss Laura teach again. Once again, Shake and I were just amazed. Phenomenal job. Awesome. She taught about Jesus being the good shepherd. Also, I remember years ago, Laura had a vision of us being in the hand of God and how some of us think this is us in God's hand. I'm in God's hand. What we need is this vision. We're in His hand. Not this. This. 
He's a good shepherd. You're not helpless. Lean on him. Cry out to him. Are you trapped? Says, I am the door. Are you condemned? I am the righteous judge. He judges righteously. Are you needing rest? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. These are things he declared in the Gospel of John. Are you in need of saving? I am the Savior of the world. Are you fearful? He told the disciples in the boat in that stormy sea, I am. Do not be afraid. Interest rates up to 18% as it battles against financial collapse. The move is designed to stabilize the joy in control I am God in my own relationship with God it seems that he always answers my life's most desperate questions at first as though they were who questions If my heart's cry is, what am I going to do? His response seems to be, I am. If I ask, how am I going to find the solution? He replies, I am. If I plead, where can I go for victory to this dilemma? His answer is, I am. If I ask, why is this happening and not something better? He seems to say, I am. By initially responding with I am to our request, I think that God simply points us to himself and may actually be saying, trust me and let me guide you to each of the answers to your important questions in my timing. Because what you really need is a genuine, real, and vibrant relationship with myself. So don't run off and become independent again with any knowledge, revelation, or provision that you may receive from me. I am. Lord, I pray for every person in this room 
that you would make sense out of this sermon to them to apply to their unique situation. This word is relevant. That you're the ever-present help in time of trouble. You are the great I am. You depend upon nothing, but we can depend upon you. And with your will in mind, we can do all things through you who strengthen us. Lord, we can be content in every situation. We can learn how to abound and how to be abased. How to be praised and how to be humiliated. How to be exalted and how to be debased. Because you are the great I am. May we lean on you, Lord. Make us stable, constant people reflecting your constancy to this world that is blown about by circumstances and storms and unsteady seasons. Thank you, Lord, for being our rock. You are the living word. You are the great I am. You are all that we need is in you. here that may need to find a place to pray. You can kneel at your seat. You can come forward and kneel and spend some time in awe of the great I am. Others here may need to receive prayer to approach the throne of grace, the throne of the great I am, and pray with a brother or a sister about some situation you're to the sermon or not at all. We are here to pray with you. And so I'm going to call the prayer team forward to join me across the front. Come on down. And as they're coming, if you'd like to receive prayer about anything, come down and join us. And let's end the service by singing this song and worshiping the great I am, the living word, as well as praying with one another. So if you'd like to receive prayer, just come on down. We're up here to pray with you. If you're on the prayer team, come and join us and come down with the prayer team if you'd like to receive prayer about this.
Are you wrestling with your priorities? Jesus said, I am the first. Are you overly concerned about how things are going to work out? Jesus said, I am the last. Are you worried about what to do with your hurts? Jesus says, I am. What to do with your immaturity? Jesus says, I am. There's any maturity in us from our being close. Thank you. 